Hello, honeys, and welcome to episode two of The Business, your source for the hand curated art world headlines from each week. This week we're talking about the week of February 11th through the 17th, and we had quite a bit of museum and exhibition related news as opposed to our first episode, which was a lot of discovery. So let's get started. Once again, it would take impossibly long to cite all my sources by name in this episode of The Business. However, there will be a source stock available in the show notes for you if you so choose to investigate further. Last week, the organizers of the 60th Venice Biennale, one of, if not the most important international arts event of the year, announced that it will have its first ever national pavilion for Ethiopia. The Venice Biennale is a huge deal. It's an annual showcase of artistic innovation and technique. It's sort of also like the Olympics in that everyone wants to win prizes by having the most impressive entries in order to gain national status. But because each nation gets a whole pavilion to work with, there's lots of literal space for opportunity that artists might not otherwise get. The event is also representative of the arts world in many ways, along with bringing together creative professionals from around the world. It indicates as much as it sets the universal tones and themes within artworks for the year. It can also reveal regions where lots of interesting ideas are emerging. The Ethiopian exhibition will be titled Prejudice and Belonging and will be curated by writer Lem Sisse. The artist behind the exhibition, Tesfaye Ergesa, said in a press statement, quote, This is not only a personal milestone, but also a proud moment for Ethiopian art and culture. I hope that my exhibition will inspire and empower other Ethiopian artists to pursue their creative aspirations and to share their stories with the world. I believe that this is the start of a new era for Ethiopian art, and I am excited to be a part of it, end quote. Art News notes that his paintings are striking because of their, quote, focus on psychologically ambiguous figures in domestic settings, end quote. Last week, the L.A. County Museum of Art opened a conceptual exhibition centering on culinary relationships to Islamic art. Linda Komarov, curator of Dining with the Sultan, says, quote, So much of Islamic art is related to the sourcing, preparation, serving, and consumption of food, end quote resulting in food-based arts experience. The show includes nearly 250 objects, some dated from the 7th century all the way to the early 20th, and all contextualized in culinary and dining traditions. These include a 13th century cookbook from Tehran and an entire 18th century reception room salvaged from a Damascus mansion. While the aim here is to stimulate the sense of a virtual feast and to contextualize the art, I do worry about certain aspects of this, such as the plan to have scent boxes with various geographically associated aromas or seating in the form of floor cushions. If they're not careful, they'll end up stereotyping and narrowing minds here rather than expanding them and breaking expectations. We also heard the announcement of the loss of an American arts icon last week. Art News reports that, quote, The Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts, a.k.a. PAFA, founded in 1805 by the artists Charles Wilson Peale and William Rush as the first art school in the United States, is closing its college at the end of the next academic year, end quote. President Eric Pryor cites rising costs and low enrollment. 
plus nationally expanding requirements as some of the reasons for the closure. Previous varied attempts to save the college were unsuccessful. Many of the resulting operational changes have already been announced. The museum plus most educational programs such as K-12, continuing ed, will continue. Bachelors of Arts and Fine Arts, juniors and seniors, plus MFA students on the graduation track will still do so. But freshman and sophomore transfer arrangements are being made through partnerships with other schools, and faculty plans are less clear. The announcement marks a seriously sad day for American art history, as it is a source of legends that we're losing. Some include Mary Cassatt, Angelica Acunili Crosby, Robert Henry, Thomas Eakins, Alexander Calder, and even Jesse Wilcox Smith, the illustrator of Mother Goose. We're also losing an industry leader. Art News reports that, quote, as early as 1844, women artists were invited to have study time at the academy, and by 1868, they could participate in live nude model classes. In comparison, the École des Beaux-Arts in France did not allow women to attend its classes until 1897, unquote. In 2019, it also made headlines by using funds from the sale of an Edward Hopper work to expand its Black and women artist collections. The closure is exemplary of a serious struggle going on in the arts world. Things have been pretty tough, bordering on dire for many arts institutions and NGOs since the pandemic. It's very hard to keep coming back, and many are running out of ideas for finding new ways. UNESCO also publicly raised estimates of recovery costs in Ukrainian cultural and tourism sectors to $9 billion last week, as 341 sites have now been looted, damaged, or destroyed. This is on top of the estimated $19 billion in loss of revenue in the same sectors. Those sites include 26 religious structures, 150 buildings of historical or artistic importance, and 31 museums, and are on top of the more than 15,000 pieces of Ukrainian fine art and artifacts that have been reported as missing. If you weren't already aware, honeys, this is a war crime to systemically plunder museums and other cultural archives. And yes, that is, thanks to the Nazis. Because of this, UNESCO has been a very active partner in attempting to preserve Ukrainian assets, including adding various sites to its endangered World Heritage site to expedite the allocation of resources towards them after the end of the war. Last week's headlines as a collective indicate that the art world is increasingly becoming involved in and divided by pressing social and human issues such as climate change and Israel's campaign against Palestinian lives. Apparently, the soupings will continue until global warming improves. Some da Vinci's suffered the treatment last month, and this month it's Monet Works by two climate activists associated with the same group as last month who were arrested. They attacked a work called Spring from 1872 while chanting, quote, this spring will be the only one we have left if we don't react, end quote. I don't know about you, but I find that pretty chillingly effective. Art News reports that Lyons Mayor admitted in response to the attack, quote, in the face of climate emergencies, anguish is legitimate, end quote. The Museum of Modern Art in particular is feeling the heat from within its own walls. 
It's facing increasing pressure from climate change activists to remove Marie Josie Kravitz, current board chair, over her and her husband's private equity firm's billions of dollars in investments into oil and gas projects. The latest of many protests was staged by uh, climate groups at MoMA on Valentine's Day. The protesters wore shirts with the saying, quote, MoMA dump Kravis, unquote, in red, and distributed Lichtenstein-inspired leaflets with a climate-based critique in a speech bubble. Hyperallergic reports one 24-year-old protester as saying, quote, MoMA is an institution that claims to lead the cultural progress of our society. That's how they see themselves. That's how they want people around and New Yorkers to see them. And if that's true, that means they also have to actually lead on climate and actually follow what they're saying, end quote. The very same week, MoMA employees released a statement asking the museum to publicly call for an immediate and unconditional ceasefire in Gaza, as well as to commit to or emulate the Palestinian campaign for the academic and cultural boycott of Israel an initiative launched by Palestinian intellectuals in the West Bank. As of Wednesday, it has 175 artists associated with MAMA, plus 33 current employee signatures. The art newspaper says, quote, The statement reads in part, quote, We firmly believe that the ongoing crisis there must be recognized as genocide and addressed with such urgency. Furthermore, we seek to rally our colleagues globally within the cultural field to actively participate in and support this urgent movement, and all quotes. They are criticizing MoMA's silence and apparent contradiction to their mission because in the employees' eyes, they are, quote, quietly watching Gaza's invaluable art, culture, and history be systemically destroyed, stolen, and erased, end quote. Art News also confirmed last week that pro-Palestinian graffiti has been appearing across arts-based institutions in New York City. Of course, MoMA is not the only institution grappling with if and how to address the occupation in Gaza. Two major artists have decided to pull their scheduled shows in a Berlin contemporary art museum over claims that the museum censored their pro-Palestine gestures. The artists in question are Banu Toglu from Turkey and Pilvi Takala from Finland, both well-known on the international Biennale circuit. In a joint statement, they said that their decisions to cancel their planned shows for this year resulted from the museum's silencing of their attempts to mention within these shows their solidarity with Palestine, as well as to highlight their perception of repressive policies of Germany. Notably, this is part of a larger trend of German museum dropouts and strikes over Gaza. Several individual shows across the nation have been canceled, as well as artists pulling work from major festivals, including the Transmedial and the Berlinale. The museum statement in response claimed, quote, We are concerned about how conflicts are increasingly used to promote individual interests and believe it is crucial to avoid taking predetermined political stances, end quote. It's also fascinating to see these major arts world institutions being forced to confront the major issues, the social crises of our time, because the humanities and the institutions within them have a very unique power of condemnation, where 
for some reason, perhaps it's because the humanities include history and philosophy and psychology to some degree, if we say something is wrong, the world tends to take big notice of that. As the MoMA employees pointed out, silence is meaningful. In this case, it would essentially okay each situation, the Ukrainian as well as the Palestinian. The destruction of Palestinian culture, which we just established, that's a war crime, signals an okay with the destruction of physical proof of humanity and sort of puts a foot in the door towards destroying the rest of Palestine in human and humanity terms. It's also an issue of equality. Why are we not speaking up about this? The Ukraine invasion was largely condemned, and the Ukrainian art destruction is being condemned. Is Palestinian art and culture less important or valuable than Ukrainian? It also increases public pressure on Israel to give up. People love art, culture, food, etc. When they don't get it or are excluded from it, as the art world is increasingly shifting towards doing, they're going to be pissed and sad, and that's going to make it harder for the state to keep up this campaign. And the impacts of these headlines are proof that each of us can somehow make a difference by making hard choices, reevaluating who we are funding, and otherwise undermining Israel's sway in and on other nations. Finally, a story to bring the mood back up a bit here. Reports that the controversial and rare Pikachu Van Gogh Pokemon card causing near riots upon its release in 2023 will make a return. The original promotion was that a card in the likeness of one of the artist's famous self-portraits would be given out with any museum purchase. However, scalpers went crazy. Some employees embezzled boxes of them. It was so bad the Pokemon company publicly apologized for the chaos. They are going with a broader approach this time in order to hopefully temper the chaos and reduce resale values. The cards will be restocked at large chain stores in the Netherlands, where those spending more than 30 euros on branded Pokemon products will get a free card, so long as supplies last. Alright honeys, that's all the buzz, the business from the last week. Hope you enjoyed, hope you found something interesting here to follow up on, do a little research of your own. I will uh, talk to you all Thursday in our brand new full-length episode. Take care. This podcast was created, produced, written, hosted, edited, and fact-checked by master's graduate Celia Bugnow. Our upcoming music will be courtesy of Kelsey Weber. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on all of your favorite streaming platforms as well as your social medias.